Holy shit, fanboys and fangirls. This is Eric, and welcome to Fanboy of an Opinion, episode 23, for July 31st. I was off last week, and as promised, I am back with a jam-packed episode. First, I continue my trip through the DCAMU with Justice League Dark. And then I will discuss my thoughts of the very first episode of The Boys from Amazon Prime. The first thing we're going to talk about today is the DCAMU movie, Justice League Dark. Now again, this is continuing our journey, if you will, into the DCAMU. And uh, first thing to, to talk about is a Justice, this Justice League Dark movie came out in 2017. And interestingly enough, this was the first Justice League movie, animated movie, that was R-rated. Uh, they did it with uh, Batman the Killing Joke, which I think might have came out before this, but this is the first Justice League movie to have an R-rated. So basically this is going to deal with uh, supernatural stuff, and a lot of the important supernatural characters within the DC Universe. Again, this follows the theme of the New 52 stuff, so a lot of these characters, that's what they're dealing with. Like, they're dealing with the histories that they created for the New 52. So it begins in uh, three cities, Metropolis, Gotham, and Washington, D.C. There are these murders being committed, and the victims think... Well, the people committing the murders think that they see demonic creatures. That everyone around them have become demonic creatures. So they start you know, doing violent acts towards these creatures. They're stopped by the members of the Justice League. Uh, one man, he's about to murder his family. And they're not really demonic creatures. They just see them as demonic creatures. But in reality, they're just afraid. Uh, one situation, a man is at his home, and he's about to murder his wife and his child. And then... Uh, they stop and the Justice League stops him and Superman's one of the ones who stops him. And he, the guy mentions how he already did it, like he already encountered his neighbors and his neighbors were demonic creatures. And then Superman tells him, you know, t to show him what he's talking about. And then instead of just opening the door or breaking the door, Superman uses his heat vision to, like, blast the door, the neighbor's door open, which makes no fucking sense. Like, why would you just do that? And so then, of course, the guy murdered his fucking uh, neighbors. So then, um, they go to Gotham, and that happened in Metropolis. That's why Superman was involved. And in the Gotham one... There's a woman who's about to throw her baby off a building. And she thinks, because she thinks the baby is demonic. Which I thought was a very ambitious thing to do for the writers. To like start off the movie right away with potentially murdering a baby. And then Batman tries to calm her down. And he, she um, still throws the baby off. And he catches the baby. But in the meanwhile, <clears throat> while catching the baby, the mother throws herself off the roof. And then he, he says to the, you know, he's, he, this is like his sympathetic, showing Batman as the sympathetic character. He said, he looks down at the baby is like, I'm sorry. Like the baby's supposed to be like, oh, it's okay, bro. Um, 
And then after that, we see the, all the Justice League during this briefing. And, uh, you know, all these movies are supposed to be connected. So I've seen all these movies up to this point, And all the threads are supposed to be connecting threads here and there in all the movies. They don't show up in every single movie, but they do show up in the movies. Because everything's connected. So at this point, we know who the Justice League are. It's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, obviously. Cyborg, Shazam, Aquaman, uh, Fartman. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. The point is, where the fuck, in this shot, where the fuck did Hawkman, Jon Stewart, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter come from? Because they're sitting at the table. When the fuck did that happen? You're supposed to be... This is supposed to be threads. This is all supposed to be connected. And now all of a sudden these three motherfucking characters show up. And we don't know where the fuck they come. We, I mean, I've said this before. These movies are not made for straight up comic book fans. They're for people who maybe know the characters and maybe have read some comics and definitely watched TV shows. They don't know who these people are. They may not know. How the hell did they get there? And they have no... Well, Jon Stewart has lines, but the other two have no fucking lines. Which which really bothered me. It was like... And then Aquaman's there. He doesn't have... Barely any of them have a line. This is just, just the dark. So backstage, after Zantana's show at Gotham Square Garden, she has a bunch of roses with Bruce's name on it. And then he's behind her in her dressing room and you know you get the sense that they know each other uh by the way zantana uh like i said is uh, not really a witch more like a magician or sorcerer sorcerers and her powers that um she creates spells by saying things backwards so that's how she does her incantation of spells so if she would have turned something into something else she would just say it but just say it backwards and it's that's a weird thing when you're doing a movie like visually when you're when you're seeing it done in the comic uh you know it's it's a niche with Zantana that you could just always put the book up against the mirror to see what she said because it's always written literally written backwards whereas in a movie that's taken away so it's supposed to be this fun little thing with the character. She's, she's been around for a long time, so always been doing that. But in a movie, it kind of loses its charm. So anyway, Batman asks her about the name Constantine. And then we meet this character named Dead Man. So essentially, Dead Man is a spirit or is a ghost. And he was the one... So we're supposed to believe that he can enter people's bodies. So we're supposed to believe that he entered Batman's body while Batman was in the mansion. And he's the one that wrote the names all over the wall using Batman's body. It's not really explained at that time. But then when Batman meets Antana, it's kind of all uh, explained. So Deadman, we go into Deadman's history. Uh, Deadman... was an acrobat, kind of like Robin's history, a little Robin's origin, a little bit. His famous acrobat, he's kind of full of himself. He thinks he's the star of the circus. Someone murders him. 
it's it's basically he gets assassinated and then he becomes a spirit and he is uh he was reached by this god goddess he was reached, he was reached by this goddess and was given the ability to live as a ghost and to enter people's bodies uh so he can find out who murdered him so he's been around since like the 60s 70s he's a popular character but one of those popular characters are people who just like read comics and nobody really knows him outside the comics and that's that's the theme of this movie is that most of these characters people don't really know who they are outside the comics so it's an interesting idea to give them a movie because they are popular characters uh within uh within comic 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 them so let's see so then after that uh Zantana tells him who John Constantine is and we get to see a little bit of Constantine and he is before we see Zantana so Constantine's in Vegas and like I said I thought when we saw Vegas we were going to see Zantana but it was actually John Constantine and he's playing poker with three demons and they're they're considered the demon three in comic books and he's with a guy named jason blood and so this whole thing happens where constantine wins he basically cheats but the demons are cheating also and he wins this artifact um that doesn't seem like it's going to be important but then it, it does become important and Jason Blood is also a character named the Demon, or Etrigan, Etrigan the Demon. And so Jason Blood is like another character who's popular, but more of like a cult popularity. And people outside the comics don't really know who he is. So Jason Blood was bonded with this demon. And when Jason Blood uses, says this, these words, almost like a poem, he turns into Etrigan, and Etrigan's a demon, shoots fire, all that, all that good stuff. So we see that um, Constantine summons Etrigan through a spell, and we see him kick the demon's asses. It's a pretty good scene. So then, after Batman sees Zantana, that's all important, by the way. It will be important. So when Zantana sees Batman, Batman asks him who John Constantine is. Uh, he then. Zantana says, I'll show you where he lives or where he's, you know. Zantana, um, Constantine is living in the House of Mystery, which I think in the comics is guarded by somebody else. Uh, because the House of Mystery isn't really a Constantine thing. And that was one thing I was like a little weirded, weirded by, you know, but whatever, it doesn't matter. So they find Constantine and, um, you know, at first, Antenna doesn't want to get involved. Because Batman wants to know why these people were seeing these demons. And what that's all about. So, they see, they um, go to find Constantine. And a little bit about Constantine. So, John Constantine, he's had a TV show, he's had a movie played by Keanu Reeves. And he's pretty much a con man. 
He was, he was created in the, uh, I think in the late 70s, early 80s. And funny thing about Constantine, he was created by British writers, artists. He's a British character. Uh, you know, if you've seen Keanu Reeves' movie, don't get confused. It's nothing like the comics. So Constantine is a Brit. So now there's this big debate, and I've just recently heard about this. How you say, how do you pronounce Constantine's last name. So technically, when the Brits created the name, the Brits pronounce it as Constantine. But us Yanks, or Americans, we pronounce it, pronounce it as Constantine, because that's how it's spelled. Uh, the last few letters, T-I-N-E. But British pronunciation is Tyne. So technically his name is really John Constantine, but no one in America pronounces it that way. Anyway, he's a con man. He really is a son of a bitch. And his book was first printed by Vertigo, which was a darker imprint from DC. But then as of uh, 2008, something like that, they incorporated John Constantine in the DC regular universe. So a lot of his stories in the beginning were darker. And then when they kind of brought him into the new 52, they kind of lightened him a little bit. I mean, he's still kind of a douche, but they made him more of a hero. And I think what a lot of the people liked about Constantine was that he was flawed and that he was very realistic. Um, Constant theme of, like, fucking over his friends and saving himself. I mean, he would do heroic things. I don't want to point him out to be, like, a borderline villain, but he was a douche. And so they made him less douchey. And in this movie, he's a little bit less douchey. But the theme of him being a douche comes up a lot. So uh, they're also joined by this character named Black Orchid. I think in the, in the movie, she's just Orchard. Orchard. And she's supposed to be a, spirit, a spiritual embodiment of the House of Secrets. But I don't think that's her origin in the comics. In the comics, I think that's just for the movie. So they go to visit uh, a f- Constantine's friend, Richie. Richie, And oh, we're kind of given the idea that uh, John Constantine and Zantana were an item at one point, And it's, it's, been, it's said that they were an item, which is not in the comics at all. And there's a character in Constantine Comics named Z. I, actually, her name is spelled Z-E-D, but the Brits pronounce that as just Z. You know, they don't pronounce it Z. But no, they do pronounce it Z. I'm confusing myself. The letter Z, the Brits pronounce it Z. So it's like A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z. But she's referred to as Z. You know, just like a, a shorter version of that or whatever. She was a, a love interest for Constantine for a long time. She was one of those who, you know, long lost to got away. She was also in the TV show. But in this movie, Constantine constantly refers to Zatanna as Z. So it's almost like they combine the two characters. You know, uh, Zatanna and Z, they combine them together. So, 
they would make Zantana a love interest or or potential love interest for Constant. It's confusing, but they change things around. They go to Richie's house, and there's a bunch of spirits hanging around Richie's house. And they're called shrouds. And so shrouds represent going to take a spirit away to hell when that person dies. So now they know that Richie's dying, and now they know he's going to go to hell. I mean, that's pretty much what it says. So they try to get the shrouds to get away, and there's this great scene where the shrouds see Batman, and they, they hang around Batman. And they're like, oh, this one is, I can't wait for this one to die, we're going to take him to hell, blah, blah, blah. And then he's, he doesn't see them. And so they have to explain to Batman what's going on. And so Batman's just staring into space. And then there's a moment where he just stares and he's, he's staring at them. And at this point he knows he's staring at them. And he just goes, boo. And stares the shrouds. And it's just a really funny scene. Like Batman don't give a fuck. So they go to see Richie. And this whole thing with like, Richie's dying. We don't really know what he's dying of. But, uh, oh, he has cancer and he's resentful towards Constantine for abandoning him. And so, again, that's this whole thing about Constantine's douche. But he helps them eventually. And they are able to see one of the people, one of the people who saw the demons. Uh, not a very good person. Like this, this guy, this father who was going to kill his wife and his kid because he thought they were demons. Turns out he's not that great of a person to begin with. They... Uh, discovered that he was possessed by an unknown entity uh, that we don't see who this person is but that person creates summons a demon to stop the group as they're trying to find more answers about this guy who thought his wife and his kid were demons and who does he summon? what does he summon? he summons a demon made out of poop and it's a demon that comes out of the you know they're in a hospital and the demon comes out of the toilet and as soon as the demon comes out of the toilet everyone on that floor in that hospital can smell the duty and i'm looking at this and i'm like this reminds me of kevin smith's movie dogma because they also summon a shit demon in that, and it's like, dude, somebody like getting high and like watching Kevin Smith movies and decided this was a good idea to put in a DC cartoon. And then now you know why it's R rated because it's a fucking shit monster. Do we really need that? Did we need that? I don't know. I don't think we did. It wasn't done in a funny way, it was done in a real more horrific, like the shit monster's coming and murdering everything it runs into. Uh, so. Batman has to try to fight it off while Constantine and Santana are still figuring this shit out. You know, all the crap. But I mean, it's... It's done well, but at the same time, did we need a shit monster? No, I don't think we did. And at the end of it, no one's just like, wait a minute, was that thing made out of shit? So, 
They stop it. I love the Wikipedia. A magical creature is conjured to consume the man. Yeah, it's made out of shit. Like, you don't even say that. So, they find some information now. They go back to Richie's house. And he's closer to death. Um, they see Jason blood. And he's there. And he starts running. And Constantine chases him. And Batman revitalizes Richie with an adrenaline shot. Constantine catches up to Jason Blood, who explains to Constantine that, you know, Jason Blood's been around for hundreds of years because he was merged with the demon, and he was merged with the demon back in, like, Camelot times. So he tells a story about how he fought this sorcerer named Destiny. It's very convoluted. And Destiny was defeated. He was possessed of this thing called the Dreamstone. And that's what Constantine won in the poker match with the demons. So Jason's trying to get this Dreamstone. So Destiny had this Dreamstone and he was killing you know, King Arthur's men. And he fights Jason Blood. Jason Blood was a knight. And then he kills Jason Blood. Seemingly kills Jason Blood. And Merlin summoned Entrigen, the, the demon, to defeat Destiny. And then when he defeated Destiny, that, Destiny, that's when Merlin merged Jason Blood with Entrigen. So after this story is being told, Richie, who's dying, wakes uh, briefly and says that a man named Felix Faust was the one who attacked Richie in his home. And now the team thinks that Felix Faust is the one that made people see demons. So Felix Faust is a villain. He's like a supernatural villain. He was also in the Constantine TV show. He's been in cartoons, blah, blah, who cares. They, he's a piece of shit. So they go to fight him. Well, first off, they get help from Swamp Thing. So even Swamp Thing's in this fucking thing. Swamp Thing doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And Swamp Thing is now, you know, he's got his own TV show. And so people kind of know who he is now at this point. Uh, he helps them find Faust's home. Or whatever. They go to fight Faust. Uh, they find out... Well, you know, that was a pretty good scene. Everyone fighting Faust and stuff. Um, Faust, they find out that Faust had no... He didn't hurt Richie at all. And mind you, Richie's now in the House of Secrets. So, Richie awakes... And he's revealed to have the other piece of the Dreamstone, which has been keeping his cancer at bay. He destroys Orchid, or Orchid, can't see the goddamn name. He destroys Black Orchid, who's a part of the House of Secrets. They get back to the House of Secrets, and Constantine is trying to reason with Richie and telling him that the Dreamstone, which, is, which now has Destiny's soul, there's so many goddamn names. Which now has Destiny's soul trapped inside. Destiny is using Dream, uh, is using Richie to make the Dreamstone whole so he can escape it and fuck the world. So then the Dreamstone, of course, does that. He takes over Richie's body and transforms into Destiny. Now, some notes here. 
every time they do with magic, there's a, a few scenes where Batman will just grunt. Because he's just like, Ugh. Which I thought was funny, because it's like, he still still doesn't believe in this shit. I mean, he's still a goddamn poop monster fight you. Like, a poop monster was disintegrating people, and you had to fight a poop monster, and you still like, Ugh. Swamp Thing was awesome. Anything with Swamp Thing was awesome, even though he's a dick. Uh, Felix Foss mentions his home base is like, it's a Doctor Strange reference, it doesn't matter. My problem is Destiny. Now, in the comics, he is referred to as Doctor Destiny. And he's like a D-level villain. Like, D-villain, a D-level Justice League villain. And he's able to, like, manipulate reality a little bit. But now they're making him into this, like, sorcerer. And, like, someone that could rival Merlin. And then when he comes back, he's like a mix between, uh, what's it called? Uh, the, uh, Lionel. The Cat Force. What are they called? Uh, Thundercats. He looks like a mix between Mumra from, from Thundercats and Skeletor from He-Man. Again, with someone like smoking pot and like watching old 80s cartoons and, and Kevin Smith movies. Because he looked exactly like a cross between Mumra and Skeletor. And it was really annoying me. So then they fight him and... And, uh, he's the one that's been, it's very convoluted. He's the one that's been making people see demons. So they, and then, so he's making them see see demons and they're fighting each other. And, um, Entrigan is released because he's really like one of the more powerful ones in the group. He starts fighting Destiny. But then he's separated from Jason Blood. So now J- he's completely separate. So now Jason Blood appears. Uh, Constantine summons a, a Swamp Thing who attacks Destiny. Uh, Batman and Zantana, uh, they do something. Oh, right. The, it was the, um, the Justice League is involved at this point. And Destiny has made the Justice League think that everyone's demons. Uh... It just reminds me of like G, uh, Teen Titans versus Justice League. It's like Justice League's not really in this, but we're just gonna have them in it for just a few minutes, so we could say it's a Justice League movie. Uh, Destiny ends up ripping, you know, Swamp Thing is Alec, uh, Alec Holland, and he became Swamp Thing. So Destiny rips Alec Holland's corpse from Swamp Thing, weakening him and breaking his will. Swamp Thing withdraws. Constantine tricks Destiny into bringing him and Dead Man within his protective shield, allowing uh, Dead Man to wound Destiny. Oh, right, so Dead Man can enter bodies. So he tricks Constantine into, and then Dead Man enters Destiny's body. So they end up destroying the Dreamstone, which is, you know, a connection to Destiny. And then uh, Richie comes back and now he's dragged to hell uh, by the shrouds and Constantine, you know, because Richie really was the villain in this. Um, so then, you know, they they save the day. 
And Inji's and Blood's now separated from Entrigen, so now his wound from 5,000 years ago appears, and now he dies. And Zatanna goes off, and it's like, later, bro, you know, peace out. And at the end of it, well, they, they bury Jason Blood, and then at the end of it, Zantana tells Constantine that she's been offered a spot in the Justice League. And then she tells him that he, too, has been offered a spot, and it was Batman's idea. You know, Constantine's not really a team player, and it's mentioned that he's not a team player. And, like I said, he's a, he's a, a, a douche. Lack of a better word. So, he denies it. Um, so then the House of Secrets which had been destroyed is now being rebuilt and Black Orchard is not dead Constantine goes into the house with Zatanna and Dead Man joins them and that's the end of the movie now (coughs) there are a lot of questions like Zatanna doesn't want to help like she doesn't want to be a superhero but then all of a sudden she is a superhero what made her change her mind? Like, it's never really explained. Why were some people able to see these demons, but others weren't? Um, you know, I, I kept thinking, well, maybe people with magical... People who are within the su- supernatural world can't be, you know, can't be forced to see those things. But then they were. Um... Why those specific people? Because it seemed like in the beginning of the movie, the people that were being forced to see these people as as demons were not good people to begin with. But that's not explained. We see somebody summoning the poop creature that looked like Felix Faust. So was it Felix Faust? Because he wasn't doing, you know, he was doing bad stuff too. It just made no sense. It was like... That was a throw everybody off, but it didn't fit in. Um, I didn't care for the change of destiny, which I said. Uh, I don't know. It just like there were a lot of unanswered questions, which didn't make sense. I like the idea of having this darker movie with the supernatural element, and you know this group. This story is not really from any comic it's just they wanted to bring these characters together who are together in the comic um all right let's see uh, let's talk about the voice acting so pretty much the voice acting was the same as it's been again jason omara i mentioned every movie because batman seems to be in every fucking movie jason omara was playing batman uh if you've ever watched a TV show, Constantine TV show, or if you've seen Legends of Tomorrow, which John Constantine's been in, he's been played by an actor named Matt Ryan. So Matt Ryan did the voice for this movie, which I thought was pretty cool. That they It was nice that they got the character. Uh, Dead Man, I really liked Dead Man as a character. I like him as a character. Um, but when he started to talk in this, he had like a really thick Brooklyn accent. Which, being, you know, living in Brooklyn, well, it was like, I should have been into that, but I just didn't feel like it fit the character, and I just didn't, when I see Dead Man or read Dead Man, I just don't think of a Brooklyn accent, and he was voiced by uh, uh, Nicholas uh, 
Turturro, Nick Turturro, who's from New York, and his brother is John Turturro. Um, other than that, you know, Jerry O'Connell was Superman again, yawn. Rosario Dawson was Wonder Woman again, yawn. Uh, I liked Felix Foss as uh, uh, the guy who did him. I thought that was good. Uh, the guy who did Destiny is like an Academy-nominated, like, why? Alfred Molina, who was Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2, original Spider-Man 2. I don't know why. He he needs the money, I guess. I don't know. You know, voice acting was some good, some not so great. Uh, all right, so what would I rate this? I, I have to admit, though, as a whole, these movies are getting better. I didn't have as many problems with this. It doesn't sound like it, but I really didn't have as many problems with this as I did with some of the earlier movies. But there were a lot of unanswered questions. There were a lot of potholes. So I'd probably stick with uh, six. Six out of ten for this one. Yep, that's my review. Justice League Dark, six out of ten. The next movie is going to be Teen Titans... The Judas Contract. That's going to be interesting to watch. Yep. Now I would like to talk about The Boys, which is a new TV show on the Amazon Prime streaming site. It is based on a comic book from 2006 to 2012. There were 72 issues. Uh, This was from Wildstorm Comics. Which was basically an offshoot of DC. It was written by Garth Innes, who's one of my favorite comic book writers, and it was drawn by Derek Robinson. So they were basically co-creators. It it basically tells the story of this group, is kind of like off the books black ops group called the Boys. And they want to kind of destroy superheroes. Because this is a world where superheroes are put on a very high pedestal. And they are treated like rock stars uh, combined with you know, Hollywood superstars. And they can do no wrong. Everyone sees them in this great life. Like they pretty much are pretty much like gods. Not only in the sense that they have powers, but in the sense that people worship them. And they can't do anything wrong. I mean, it is an allegory for religion. Kind of, you know, how like... They, people believe these superheroes are the best and the brightest and they could do no wrong. And no matter how many facts you probably bring these people, they wouldn't believe it because it is like a religion or a cult. So anyway, uh, the boys want to bring that down because in reality these superheroes are pieces of shit. Without uh, mincing words. So Amazon Prime made a TV show out of it. There's eight episodes. Uh, All eight episodes are out. I am only reviewing the first issue, the first, uh, excuse me, the first episode. And then when I watch them all, I'll, I'll... review the whole season as a whole. There's only eight episodes, which I find is very uh, short compared to, like, Netflix or even regular TV shows. But it's interesting. We'll see how it goes. So, it starts off with Huey. Now, Huey works at a kind of like a um, electronic store. 
and he's good at electronics, TV, AV stuff, that sort of thing. We see his girlfriend, and right away we see that Huey has no spine. He has no balls, uh, because he's trying to ask his boss for a raise, and he just doesn't do it. And his girlfriend kind of gives him shit for it a little bit, because you're already established right away that Huey is just kind of a jellyfish, spineless. And I I was just like, okay, we get it. He's ballless. Like, let's go. And again, they live in this world where superheroes are everywhere. Uh, They're on, you know, they're, they're, you know, really it's like rock stars, movie stars, and athletes all combined into one. Because they have all these uh, advertisement deals, and they're all over the place. They have TV shows, they have movies. And so he's with his girlfriend, and you get the sense of uh, how much they really care for each other. And a speedster, a superhero speedster, comes and smashes into the girlfriend. And so Yui's left there just holding her, her arms. Or like... Just arms, that's it. The body's gone. She's a pile of blood. A pool of blood and arms. And the speedster doesn't really give any... He doesn't apologize. He doesn't give any explanation. He's just like, I can't stop, I can't stop. And he keeps going. So, on the flip side of that, we see a woman named Starlight. I think her real name is uh, Amy or something. I don't remember. But I will... So we see Starlight, and Starlight is a smaller, she's a superhero from like a small town like Akron, Ohio or some shit like that. And um, she wants to be on this group called the Seven. Now the Seven are similar to the Justice League. Annie, her name is Annie. Starlight, his name is Annie. And the Seven are like these Justice League, and they're an allegory for Justice League, and you're going to see that a lot, there's a lot of different characters that represent comic book characters, because the thing about the boys is, Garth Innes hates superhero comics, he never grew up on them, he never got into them, he just doesn't care for them, and a lot of the, a lot of the times he spoofs uh, superhero comics, or superhero characters, because he really just doesn't care for them and he thinks they're silly and he thinks they're kind of dumb and whenever he has a chance to make fun of them he does and that's basically what this, the boys is is just his hate letter for superheroes so yeah, Starlight is this uh, smaller uh, she fights in a smaller market basically and she wants to get in the seven and the seven are like the Justice League uh, there's um the Homelander, who's the leader, and he's really like Superman, obviously. Uh, there's Black Noir, uh, who's kind of like Batman. Queen Maeve, who's like Wonder Woman. A-Train is the one who kills Huey's girlfriend. He's like the Flash. Uh, the Deep, who's like Aquaman. And I feel like I'm missing somebody, but I think that's it. Um, 
so there's a there's a space on the team and Starlight wants to be on the team and she kind of tries out for it. It's almost very similar to like being you know trying for a movie, uh, auditioning for a movie. Like she goes to like a camera and she tells a story and all this stuff and and so we see her impatiently like she's training and she's impatiently waiting for their answer and so. We see Yui's story, and we see Annie, Starlight's story, which are basically bookends, and they're basically supposed to be parallel to each other, and how, right off the bat, like, Annie is one of those people who look up to the Seven, and right off the bat, Yui sees what they're really like. So, you know, she's very naive, like most people, whereas we get the sense that Yui... I don't think Yui was really into the superheroes as much as uh, most people are, but then he really has to see the true, true side of them. So, after you know, we see Huey at home. He lives with his dad, and then the funny thing is, his dad is played by Simon Pegg, who was in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and other movies that no one cares about, uh, Mission Impossible. Ooh. So, he has a cameo as Yui's dad. Now, there's a reason why he has a cameo as Yui's dad. When Yui, in the comic books, when he was designed, he was specifically designed to look like Simon Pegg. If you read the comic, if you Google it, you will see that the character of Yui looks like Simon Pegg. So, obviously, they got him to cameo as... Huey's father as a nice little nod to the fact that he looks like Simon Pegg in the books. So he's at home, he's with his dad, and he's upset. And let's talk about Voight America. So Voight is this multi-million dollar company. And they basically run all the superheroes. They are behind all the superheroes. So, every movie, every TV show, every advertisement, every move that a superhero makes is because of Voight America. And what's interesting is these, these uh, super teams are really just corporate business. And that's all it's about. So, someone from Void America comes to see Yui. I, think, I don't know if they're called Void America in the, in the show or just Void. It doesn't matter. Someone from Voight sees Yui and basically says, well, you weren't married, but we're willing to give you some compensation over what happened, and we're going to give you $45,000. But before you take the $45,000, we want you to sign this, and Yui sees that what they want him to sign is a, you know, a closed agreement that he can't talk about what happened. And... A-Train has already gone on TV nationally saying how his condolences of what happened. But Yui gets upset because A-Train never apologizes. And no one ever takes responsibility that this is his fault. And there's a big thing where like, well, the girlfriend was off the curb and all this junk. But Yui gets upset, and but he has no balls, so he doesn't actually get upset in front of the Voight the Voight guy so he's just like can I think about it 
And then his father basically tells him that he should take it. Because it's like, Huey wants to fight this. But he doesn't have the money to fight this. Legally. And legally, A-Train has no responsibility for what he did. Because they're, you know, at one point Huey says, the superheroes are like cops. They can't really be sued for what they do on the job. And that sort of thing. But it's interesting. So his father says, take the money. You have no balls. I have no balls. That's, these, this is who we are. And, um, and so he doesn't want to. And then Starlight gets the call that she, um, she's going to be in the seven. And she's got a mom. And you kind of get the sense that her mom has always pushed her to be a superhero. And it's a parallel to, like, showbiz moms or showbiz parents or um, pageant moms. When she's pushed her to do this her whole life. And and Annie's kind of, like, manipulated and brainwashed into thinking this is what she wants. So there's an event. And she gets flown to New York because a lot of this is supposed to take place in New York, even though it doesn't look like New York. She's introduced in front of a large crowd, and one of the the one of the people from the Seven are there, the Deep, who's supposed to be like Aquaman, and they introduce her as the new part of the Seven, and she's ecstatic, and it's very much like, again, being a rock star or an actress, you just swept into this so quickly, and you know, it's like she wants to be here, and. Someone from Voight tells her that your interview was great and that's what why they picked you because it sounded so modest and so humble and like that's who Annie is. Annie is humble. Annie is modest. Annie is a typical girl. It's almost like the Hollywood stereotype of a young girl with bright eyes, stars in her eyes, from middle America, comes to Hollywood, thinking she's going to be the next Julia Roberts, and then she realizes how seedy and how shitty it really is. But at this uh, gathering, one of the main executives from Voight shows a movie. And it's like, you know, it's what they call in the business kind of like a sizzle reel. So they, they show Voight, and then they show The Seven, and it's, it's a great introduction, a basic introduction to who Voight is and who the Seven are. And I really felt that that should have been played in the beginning. Because up until this point, we really don't know that much. And the, the video was shown like probably 20, 30, well not 30, but 20 minutes into the episode. You could have started with that and then flashbacked and how we got to that point. Because I just feel like everything's being thrown at once. We really could have just done a basic who Void is, who the who uh, the seven are, and how they fit into our culture. And then you could have went back and introduced Annie, and could have introduced Yui. So, I mean, it's propaganda, you know, and it just would have been good to like set the stage, set the tone. Of what this America is like. What this world is like. So then. 
she's whisked away to the Seven Tower, which is basically like Avengers Tower. And it's just the deep, and the deep shows her to their main room with all this, all this state, all the uh, chairs, and she's just like, you know, uh, Homelander's not there, but she talks about how he looked up to her, and then the deep is like, oh, I bet you had a Homelander poster on your wall, and she said, actually, I had a poster of you on the wall. Uh, I kind of had a crush on you when I was growing up. Which begs the question, how the fuck old is the deep? But anyway, the way the camera is positioned is when she's telling this, her back is to the deep and we don't see him. Now, I know what's coming, but even if you don't know what's coming, no pun intended, you can kind of get a sense of what's going to, you know, kind of get a sense of kind of what's going to happen. Maybe not specifically, but she turns back around and look at him. And he's got no pants on. And you see the camera, you see his bare ass. And obviously his dick's out. You don't see his dick, but his dick's out. Oh, I remember the other the other member of the Seven is uh, this guy who could turn invisible. I mean, um, fuck, he calls himself intangible or translucent. I think he calls himself translucent. So then... Um, He's, you know, the deepest standing there with no pants on and stroking himself. And she's shocked and she starts to get upset. And her power is that she can, like, get bright. And uh, we see this early in the episode, get really bright and, like, destroy things with her brightness, whatever. Anyway, she starts to get angry. She starts to use her power. And he kind of says to her that he'll manipulate the situation. And that she attacked him. And so she, he really doesn't give her any choice. And he's just like, you want to be here, don't you? And, you know, it's only going to be like three minutes, which is kind of funny. And, you know, he wants a blowjob. And, again, parallel to Hollywood. And to trying to make it in Hollywood. And, and how women and girls realize it's not that easy. And lots of times there's these scummy scumbags who want a blowjob. And that's what the deep represents. So we don't see the act, but later on, we see her in the bathroom puking, and we get the sense that she did it. And she sees Queen Maeve, who's like the Wonder Woman, and you know, she's supposed, she's a woman, and you would think she would give Starlight support, but she doesn't. She basically tells her, clean yourself up. Like she's, you know, she's... Clean yourself up. Don't let them see you like this. And then the reason why I mentioned Translucent is because Queen Maeve knows that Translucent is in the bathroom. And when she calls her calls him out, Translucent becomes, uh, you know, he's not invisible anymore. And he's buck naked. And you see his fucking dick. And he's just standing there and he's awkward and he walks out. He just likes to stand around in the women's bathroom fucking... Uh, Invisible. The thing is, is like these superheroes are not only pieces of shit, they're perverts. They're like perverts. And again, another parallel to rock stars is that they think they could do whatever they want sexually and get away with it. And they do get away with everything. So eventually Huey gets introduced to this, this guy with a British accent. And he calls himself Butcher. His name is Butcher. 
And so he tells Yui, you know, he knows everything about Yui, his situation and stuff. And he tells him that um, he's a fed, a butcher's a fed. And he's like, you know, we can get a train, we could get him. And Yui again has no balls, so he's kind of like wishy-washy about it. And um, he brings him to this club that is for soups. That's what they call the superheroes of soups. And this is just a club for their sexual debauchery. And you see some weird things like a character who looks like Ant-Man. He's small like Ant-Man and he just jumps and dives inside a woman's vagina. So he eventually shows footage of A-Train at the club talking about accidentally murdering Yui's girlfriend. And A-Train just laughs it off. He just doesn't care. So it, it makes Yui want to do it. And what Butcher wants him to do, he wants Yui to take the money. He wants, uh, he says, the stipulation is that he has to meet with A-Train and A-Train has to apologize. And then while there, Yui's going to put a bug in the Seven Tower. So, long story short, you know, there's a lot of drama about it. He doesn't want to do it. A bunch of, you know, pussy. And he eventually does it. And, of course, he gets scared. Well, actually, before he does it, he's eating in the park, his lunch. And who happens to sit in the same, on the same park bench but Annie, Starlight. And she's upset about the blowjob she had to give, and she's tell- she wants to tell her mom, but her mom is so proud and happy and excited for her that she ends up not telling her. And she strikes up a conversation with Yui. Now, remember, neither one of them, they don't know who the other one is. But Yui kind of helps her and gives her a little advice and says that, you know, you're about being strong and not giving up and fighting and that sort of thing. And so Yui takes his own advice and he tells Butcher he'll do it. And then he, he does it. And of course, there's a scene where he's in the bathroom and Starlight's in the bathroom while he's in the stall. I guess they have unisex bathrooms. Uh, and he gets the, the bug and he eventually does it. Now, what he doesn't know is Translucent was in the bathroom because we've seen him in the bathroom before naked. And so now he knows something's up. But he does the deed, he comes back, and he's, you know, tells Butcher, and Butcher's like, thanks. And he expects to be a part of this mission now, Yui. And Butcher basically tells him, you did great, but I don't need your help anymore. Like, this is it. Because Butcher used him. He manipulated and used him. And Yui just gets out, and he's just like, okay... And he says, hey, did you ever see anyone rip up $45,000? And he rips up the check. And I think that's a part of Butcher changing his mind about Yui. Because he knows that Yui really doesn't give a shit about superheroes anymore at this point And really just wants to see A-Train go down. So he's like, Yui, you're a good guy. He's like, grand thanks. He drops him off in front of his job. He goes to his job, he finishes his shift at the job, the, the owner goes, and then the door behind Huey opens by itself. And then, of course, we know Translucent has found him, and so now Translucent's like, 
I, I found the bug, and he doesn't know who the fuck is, because translucent is invisible, and he's like, what the fuck, uh, he beats the shit out of Huey, and he's about to murder Huey, and then Butcher rams his car into the store, hitting Translucent. There's a great fight between Butcher and Translucent, and he tells Butcher tells Yui to leave, to run, and Yui starts to run, and of course this is a decision he has to make as he continue his life being a ballless prick, or does he stand up to these bullies? So of course he comes back and he tries to help Butcher and he ends up hurting Translucent to the point where they think he's dead. And um, and that's pretty much the end of it. And um, it ends with like, well, what are you, what are you gonna do now? And of course, Butcher's not a fed. <laughs> he he reveals he's not a fed. So a lot of questions remain at the end of the episode, and also there's a lot of left up in the air, and also great dot 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 in that. What are they going to do with this translucent guy? Okay, so let me give my thoughts on this episode. I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was a really solid first episode. I thought it was a good introduction of Yui, a good introduction of Butcher, but this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the characters. There is one thing I forgot to mention. The executive of Voight, who's basically the representative for the Seven, she's played by an actress named Elizabeth Shue. Uh, I can't remember her character's name, but she's very prominent in the books. She's having a conversation at one point in the episode with this guy. And she tells him that we want to bring this superhero to your city. It's never explained who this guy is. There's talking about Baltimore, so he could be the mayor, he could be the governor, I have no idea. And that's the problem with me is like he didn't he didn't really explain who he was. But then she was like, we can bring the superhero to Baltimore. Baltimore has a very high crime rate. It's not very safe there anymore. We can bring the superhero over. Blah blah. And he's like, isn't the superhero from Detroit? And he's like, she's like, yes, but we we can bring him over to Baltimore. It's a very interesting insight of this world because it shows that these superheroes are almost treated again like athletes bring from one team to another team for money. And she says to the, to the guy, assuming is the mayor or something, $300 million. And you can't be the mayor. I mean, I wonder if he's the governor because it's like, mayor doesn't have that much money. Shit, the governor doesn't have that much money. But anyway, $300 million. He says no. He says $200 million. He says the words compound V. I know what that is. No real explanation of, to us, what that is. I know what it is, but... And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, 200 million, or I let the media know about Compound V. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, she is a character who's very tough. She's a very tough character, and she has this whole company of Voight behind her. And there's no way she's going to let him dick her like that. And But she says, okay. 200 million, and that's it. 
at the end of the episode, after Butcher and Huey, they're like, what do we do about Translucent? We see this guy in a plane with his son, and he gives him a signed autograph of the Homelander, which is supposed to be like Superman and Captain America. And she calls him, Elizabeth Shue's character, and says, you know, don't say anything about Compound V, you know, we'll we'll do the 200 million, blah, blah, blah. And he hangs up, and he's like, with the son, and the son's like, oh, you're friends with him, blah, blah, blah. The son sees the Homelander outside the plane in the sky. And Homelander waves at the kid. Oh, you're friends with Homelander. And the, the guy's like, what's he doing out there? Oh, you're friends with Homelander now. And then Homelander uses his heat vision to destroy the plane. And I was like, yeah, there you go right there. Voight is not going to let someone push them around, especially a small town, like uh, a mayor or a governor, or whatever the fuck he was. And it's also supposed to show that Homelander is just as dirty as all the other heroes. Because at one point, Butcher says, the Homelander doesn't drink, the Homelander doesn't do drugs, he doesn't have sex, so he's difficult to get to. And it's because he doesn't do the debauchery like the other superheroes does. He knows how to keep it quiet, like really quiet. So I really did like this episode for the most part. It was a good first episode. I did want to talk about the difference between this and the comic. This show is brought to us by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who also brought Preacher to TV. And Preacher is also a Garth Ennis comic book. And I really did not like Preacher. I tried watching the first few episodes and I felt like they changed too much of from comic book to show. And they changed the tone too much of the comic book. Because the comic book is just a wild roller coaster. And uh, a lot of weird, crazy stuff going on. And I feel like they, they just kind of homogenized it a little bit for TV. Uh, that was my opinion. I mean, I don't know if that's actually what they did. But to me, that's what they kind of did. So I was afraid that's what they were going to do with the boys. And for the most part, the boys are uh, close to the comic. But there are a lot of changes. Like, Starlight in the comic is not a solo superhero. She is part of a team. A team of young superheroes who are all religious. And they're all, like, good cookie-cutter, like, kid, white kids. Uh, you know, middle America, suburban, religious white kids. And she gets plucked out of this smaller team to go to the Seven. And that's why it's such a culture shock for her. Because not only does she think that the Seven are the greatest ever, but she comes from a world of, like, goody two-shoes. And so it makes it even worse for her to, like, be forced to give a blowjob. By the way, when she's first introduced in the Seven, she not only has to blow one guy, she ends up blowing like four of them from the Seven. So, again, they cut that down. I understand why they cut that down. But, in any event, I don't like the fact that she's a lone superhero and not from a team. Because I feel like the impact makes it even worse. Because she's part of a team of goody-two-shoe kids who all look up to this. And it's like, that's not the real world. 
I just felt like that was a little bit, um, it presented the chase a little bit better coming from the team rather than her just being by herself. Uh, the biggest change is Yui. In the show, Yui is American. In the comics, he's actually from Scotland. He's at a fair with his girlfriend, and that's when his girlfriend dies. I don't exactly know why they changed him to be American. Uh, maybe because they felt it was easy, accessible for people watching the show. Because you know, lots of times TV shows and movies, we're supposed to see ourselves in the main character, and maybe people wouldn't see ourselves in the main character if he was from Scotland. Another thing is the comic book is really a New York comic book. In the same sense as like uh, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, or Ghostbusters are New York movies. Because they use a lot of real life places for the story. For instance, the boys have their headquarters in the Flatirons building. Huey goes to eat his lunch at Madison Square Park. This comic book... I learned about Shake Shack because of this comic book. Uh, because there is, is a reference to it, not by name, but Butcher takes Yui to Madison Square Park and says, these are the best cheeseburgers in the city. And this is like 2006 that I read this. And then I had to research it and be like, and Shake Shack was still new at that point with only one location. So I actually learned something about the city because of this uh, book. And I feel like the movie, the TV show just doesn't do that. It doesn't look like New York. It's obviously not filmed in New York. You know, it's it's like if they remade uh, Goodfellas and, you know, shot everything in uh, Hawaii. I don't know. It just doesn't fit. Uh, let's see. Another change is, uh, I mean, there's a few things that are that I don't know are going to be changes. Because we haven't been, because like Butcher has a dog in the comic. I don't know if that's going to be introduced. It's... It's referenced, and he's like, no, I don't have a dog. The dog was with him every step of the way, by his side, everywhere. And it just seems weird that he's not in the book yet, uh, in the TV show yet. We'll see if he is. Uh, what else? There's a few changes that aren't really that big of a deal. One change that I really did like, actually, was the fact that movies and TV shows are focused a lot in this in the show. You know, uh, superheroes having movies and TV shows. When the book came out, Originally in 2006, we didn't have any of the superhero movies in real life that we have today. Avengers, uh, you know, Iron Man was 08, X-Men was around, but it's not like it is now. How, like, superhero movies are everywhere, and the merchandise for those movies are everywhere. So the book focused a lot on comics, which is interesting, the TV show hasn't, because that's the medium that hooked everyone in to these superheroes were comics. And of course, this is a comic, so it's going to be meta, comic within a comic. But they switched it because this is a TV show, they switched the media, so now they have to make things visual. But it makes much more sense because it's extremely relatable and extremely parallel to real life, because we're so obsessed with comic book movies now. That that's what their world would be. All those comic, all those superheroes would, all those superheroes would be on TV shows and movies. So I really did like that. The focus of I mean, because the episode starts with two kids talking about one of the movies that the superheroes had starred in, 
uh, maybe at the seven or something. And I was like, this is extremely relatable. Um, the other change is that the seven aren't the only the only group. There are they're mentioned. They do mention that there there's I don't know how many there was like twenty two hundred superheroes throughout the United States. But I feel like this season's only going to focus on the seven. Look, the comic was great. But at the same time, there were a lot of storylines that could have been cut. And I do hope that's what this show is going to do. It's going to trim the fat. It's going to get rid of the storylines that are kind of slow and kind of not so purposeful. And I'm very hopeful that this show is going to be good. I'm also still a little weary because, you know, like I said, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen are involved. And they really did... Not a good job of Preacher. So, we'll see how it goes. But, other than the few changes... Also, the Seven. I don't think Translucent's in the Seven. Oh, there was another character. It was supposed to be like Martian Manhunter. But, you know, it, that's fine. It was my biggest problem was Yui's nationality. And the fact that Starlight came... Didn't come from another team. Who... A whole team of kids who looked up to Seven. The seven, but again, I'm gonna watch the rest of the season and I'll talk about it. I really did enjoy the first episode, so fingers crossed that the rest of the season is gonna be as good. And that will do it for another episode. Join the Gamerish Facebook page, won't you? Follow us on Instagram at Gamerish underscore Pod, Twitch Gamership Gamerish underscore Pod, Twitter Gamerish Two. Big things are percolating here at Gamerish, so stay tuned for that. And don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact me at the Gamerish email address, Gamerish537 at gmail.com, and find me on Twitter and Instagram at Fanboy with an Opinion. Thank you for listening, and until next time, I've been a fanboy, and this has been my opinion. Mm-hmm.